welcome to the latest podcast episode from Future Medicine AI Hub. I'm Emma Hall, the editor of Future Medicine AI Hub. Today, I'm joined by Uthman Ali, who is a lawyer, ethicist and responsible innovator with a passion for human rights and emerging technology. Uthman is currently the AI Ethics SME Senior Product Analyst for BP and is responsible for operationalising AI ethics and preparing for emerging AI regulations. Thank you for joining us today, Uthman. It's great to have you with us. Please, could you provide a brief overview of your career to date? Yeah, so I actually have a legal background. My undergrad was in law, where I specialised most mostly in human rights law and international human rights law. Then afterwards, academically, I studied a master's in legal technology, where I formally studied digital ethics and AI ethics. And my master's dissertation was on the ethics of brain-computer interfaces, where I specialised in neuroethics and the medical applications of BCIs. What are neural interfaces exactly and how can they benefit medicine? So there's a technical way of understanding it, right? Essentially, you're looking at a device that connects your central nervous system to an external computer. So imagine it can be invasive or non-invasive. So imagine you wear some sort of wearable, like something on your scalp, that's like an EEG scanner that can measure your brain waves. Or it could be like Neuralink, where it's literally a brain implant, a small chip in your brain, where you're connected to your phone or any external computer. So there's a technical way of understanding it, but there's one journalist who described it as a wizard hat, which is it's a really cool thing to have the wizard hat internal to your brain or on your brain. And all of a sudden, it's going to do a lot of amazing things for people if used responsibly. There have been around lots of BCIs and seen people wearing particularly non-invasive ones. So in the industry so far, most of it is non-invasive. It's literally things that you wear on your head, right? Because the whole process of actually just having surgery to put something inside your skull, people don't feel super confident with that, especially government regulators. Yeah. (laughs) So those are some of the issues. But I mean, with BCIs as a field, right, I think it's truly like an amazing technology because of the applications of it. So if you use things like EEG scanners, like these electrodes you put on your skull, things like deep brain stimulation have been shown to be able to treat things like Parkinson's or depression. So there's amazing like mental health applications, even physical as well. But what's so interesting about BCIs is that they've been shown that if you can connect it to someone's central nervous system, you can essentially seemingly overcome a lot of physical disabilities. For example, paralysis. So people have spinal cord injuries, all of a sudden they can start moving their hands again. They they can actually start moving their limbs. It's almost like it repairs this connection inside the brain. But there's a lot of ethical issues with this as well, because one of the most interesting things I found during my research on BCIs and speaking to patients was the perceived lost sense of self, where a lot of people had used BCIs and they felt like they could move their actual hands again but they weren't sure if it was actually them that was doing it or the machine. So there's definitely questions over the loss of free will. And lots of people in actual BCI experiments said that they actually felt like a loss of confidence or anxiety or even confusion, saying that I moved my hand, was that me or was it the machine? I don't really know anymore whether is this actually me doing this. Mm. And again, it's a psychological aspect of having something that's an extension connected basically your brain being connected to a machine and especially where it becomes really frontier and it's quite amazing with robotics 
where you can connect someone not even to your own limb but to an actual robotic limb and they can start touching and feeling with the robotic arm as if it was their actual hand yeah so the way bcis work do you still make an active choice in your brain is it a thought and then say if it was a a prosthetic limb would that limb then move why do people feel like they're losing choice in this Mm. Because the way they work is essentially uses machine learning algorithms to interpret brain signals. Mm -hmm. So where your neurons should have been firing, it's basically AI algorithms doing it for you. But the issue they face is that when they're actually moving their hands and that sort of thing, like when I'm moving my hand right on this camera now, like it's basically something familiar with this kind of involuntary, right? I just do it. But with the machines, the interesting thing is that there might be things like delay or even lag between when they think about moving and when it moves. Sometimes it moves more consistently, but it's also just the feeling of knowing that something external to something you were born with and that sense of knowing that you actually have essentially a computer as acting as an intermediary to do this psychologically is shown to create distress in people. Yeah. Neuralink has made headlines by getting FDA approval. What are the potential uses of BCIs? I mean, some of them could be again like the whole thing about potentially curing paralysis or people that have had post-concussion syndromes or brain trauma but where it gets really interesting this is where Neuralink sort of hits on is that the first phase of like BCI adoption is often the use of like medical applications but the second wave is sort of enhancement where it's okay I can restore myself to a baseline level right let's say I have a neural interface And all of a sudden, my symptoms of depression have lessened. I'm back to where I was before I got diagnosed with depression or whatever it was, right? But it's why stop there? Why can't I just feel great all the time, regardless of what's happening to me? And at the moment, there's no laws to restrict you doing that. There's no one that can say you have to feel a certain sense of way or you have to basically have regular human emotions. Because the drafters of things like the Human Rights Act, they probably didn't think this would be possible, right? They can literally have implants in your brain that can determine your hormones. So the question is of how far do you go with this beyond medical use? Like how far can you go with this? And at what point do you essentially stop becoming what we'd view as human? And this is where the whole movement around transhumanism comes in because it's, it's a real... I mean, when it comes to disruption, right, it doesn't get more disruptive than changing literally the definition of being human. Mm. Neurocrimes are an emerging field of study. What exactly are neurocrimes and should we be concerned? I think we should be very concerned because neurocrimes essentially look at the new abuses of technology you're going to see with neurotechnology. So if you have VCIs, right, you can have your brain implant. Like anything else, they can be hacked so, for example, one of the things with VCIs, a brainwave reading technologies now using AI, is that you can infer people's thoughts. And this is where thought crimes become very real all of a sudden. It's not 1984 anymore. It becomes an actual serious issue of abuse of power. Yeah. And even the hacking of VCIs, again, it's a big one. But even there's a psychological issue of like distrust in society because if you know that there's a chance that you're walking around with your implant and you could have been hacked at any point and you may not be able to know is what will leave that even do to people psychologically 
and again, it, it's it's so disruptive, and it, is, it seems sci-fi-esque, right? But these are sorts of challenges we're going to face with this new wave of technology. Yeah, I did actually write a news article recently about um, the first thought experiment, kind of, where they were using, I think it was fMRI, to read people's thoughts, and then they were thinking about stories, and the machine learning algorithm was interpreting it literally Mm -hmm. almost word for word it was kind of scary to think about the fact that we can we literally have thought reading technology now and it's available now even if it isn't for access publicly and the thing is right there's a lot of commercial benefits to these sorts of things as well so like at the moment we use passwords right so in the future we could have past thoughts so you actually remove that layer. Like I could just think of my password and it's done. Like I just, yeah. and so much of what we do involves tech now anyways. It's so like just part of everything we do. So it's natural to think that we literally just merge humans and machines together. But in terms of just sort of mind reading tech, this is where I think intuitively everyone feels sort of uneasy about this, right? Because the idea of freedom of expression, or at least you should have the freedom to think in your own mind, right? You might not be able to verbalize in certain contexts, but you should be able to think freely. Even to know that this, your thoughts, like the sort of one place you felt that you could be totally private could actually be invaded. I mean, that's one of the biggest issues we're going to face. Yeah. What kind of regulation is there for these technologies? Do we need new ones? It's an interesting one because we already have like regulators like the MHRA, and already on medical regulators around the world looking at this on existing like, medical regulations and data privacy laws. But the interesting thing about BCIs is because they still challenge us in so many unique ways, like for example, uh, it challenges ethically even. So Chile has actually written a draft bill of neuro rights. So this is a new concept is basically meant to fill like the normative gaps between human rights and emerging tech. So some of the neural rights includes like the right to free will, to not have your implant being hacked, or even to be able to choose to actually want to be implanted or have some sort of BCI be used. But even things like the right to mental privacy, to not have brain spyware, and to actually have your thoughts be your own thoughts. And even like the right to personal identity, to know that you are your own person, and even the idea of like being able to share your memories with other people and that sort of thing, there should be like limitations and this sort of stuff. So it's clear that there is like a new wave of thought leadership around how we sort of need to amend existing human rights laws to safeguard like civil liberties for the future. What about black markets? Yeah, and this again, like with any regulation, you're going to face this problem, right? Is that the criminals don't really follow the law. So even if you have some amazing brain implant that can, you know, give you all these superhuman-like abilities, it's only natural that you'd have black markets and people looking to exploit this. Or even if you were able to get a medical exemption or a medical reason to have this, why someone wouldn't just try to upgrade it themselves? If they thought that if I live with this tool that can give me these advantages, I want to be outcompete everyone else, for example, in the labor market. So this is going to be a huge issue we're going to face. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Sounds really scary just thinking about it. 
Well, it is scary in a lot of ways, but it's quite amazing as well because there's a lot of incredible things you can do with the technology. But the good news are things like black markets and emerging regulation and all these sorts of problems. There are solutions to these things. I think fundamentally we are smart enough as a species to actually figure out how we should be doing this stuff. We just need to start acting quickly and start acting early. So we saw recently with generative AI where everyone just got disrupted, right? Where this just shook up the world and we just got caught in our heels. Where now we know this is gonna be the next wave of technology that's gonna be here, that the time to start acting really is now. Yeah. Yeah, there are always gonna be people that abuse technology, people that abuse rules anyway and regulation. What are some of the most interesting use cases of this technology in healthcare? I think specifically in healthcare, one of the biggest ones I can see is just increasing people's agency in life. So for example, if you're someone that was born with either disability or you'd lost a limb, the ability to basically reclaim your life and to either have a robotic prosthetic with your BCI attached to basically be back to where you where you were so you can fully participate in society that even with what i just said like there's ableist even ethically there's like assumptions of ableism and stuff in there with what i said that i know as well but this is where it can do a lot of good for a lot of people thank you in your opinion what does the future hold for the role of neural interfaces in medicine i think i mean there's so many like widespread applications of this technology in medicine and I think a lot of this will start in medicine, even how we will actually understand BCIs because the technology keeps evolving. But I do wonder at some point whether these sorts of neurotechnologies will just be like any other medical procedure that you can get, that it will be that commonplace that you can use things like this. What's This is sort of not a question or anything on the list, but what's your opinion on BCIs? Because obviously it's your field of expertise but you have mentioned like a lot of caution needs to be placed around this technology. Mm. What do you personally think about BCIs? Like, would you use one if you needed to, or if you had the opportunity? So that's a really interesting question, right? Because again, it goes down to the context of everything, because if we're being realistic, if we're in a society where everyone has a BCI implant and there's no different to having a laptop, it's going to be very difficult to work without having this it, mm. it just would be it'd be imagine going into work and saying i don't use mobile phones i don't yeah. use electronics it'd be very difficult to even be able to like participate in society at that point but my, my position on bci is this i think medically they can be absolutely amazing i think there's some incredible things we're going to do with this technology but it's important for us to start thinking through these ethical issues early because we don't want to get to a point where you have loads of people that are just bioconservatives and don't want to participate and use bcis for all the reasons I've outlined, right? But all of a sudden they can't participate in the labor market and we sort yeah. of end up with like a two-tier society and divided society. So I think the technology, it's amazing with what we can do. But one of the reasons I chose to study it as well was because I fundamentally believe that if you can figure out how to use a technology like this ethically, everything else should really be easy because mm. this is as challenging as it gets in terms of ethics. When you were studying law and you did your speciality, did you do human rights or how did you get onto this? As my background was in human rights law. So I was always interested in robotics and AI and human rights and how they intersected. But it was really with 
when I decided to specialize more into things like medical ethics and BCIs was when I saw some of the early applications of how they could be used. Mm. And I realized this is such a frontier, such a huge issue, like on a global scale of how we can use something like this. That I thought, okay, really, this is something I just really wanted to learn more about. Thank you. I think that's everything from me. Unless you have any closing Uh, comments. No, no, no (laughs) closing comments. Thank you so much for speaking with us today, Uthman. It's been really insightful to hear about neural interfaces, their fascinating use cases, and how we can responsibly regulate them. Thank you also to our listeners, and if you would like to hear any more podcasts like this, please head to fmarhub.com.